hey, I'm a dude. I'm going to make sure that other dudes aren't out there doing bad in the world. And on the first way I'm going to do that is to make sure that I'm not doing bad stuff in the world, which means I got to go to therapy. I got to get in a men's group. I got to get in front of other men who are like, hey, guess what? I think you're full of I think you're you're conning the whole world and you're actually doing stuff that we don't know behind our back and, and we're going to call you forward. We're not going to punish you, but we're going to love you so much. We're going to say that behavior is not acceptable to us and we want it to not be acceptable to you anymore. Now that's the shift. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. My guest today is Trevor Bohm, who's the founder of the Uncivilized Men's Movement, which is the fastest growing men's movement in the world. He is the author of Today I Rise and Man Uncivilized, as well as a two-time TEDx speaker, a men's coach, and a podcaster. Traver's approach challenges the stereotyped Marlboro man that we have been conditioned to believe is quote-unquote masculine and instead has men unpack the suppressed emotions that are dictating their unhealthy behaviors and their destructive actions that, by the way, negatively affect all of us, whether you are a man or a woman. Now, I get it. By now, if you're already thinking that a men's movement is the last thing that our world needs right now, I probably would have agreed with you 100%. I, too, was very skeptical about two white guys talking about quote-unquote men's work, but I'm always willing to entertain different viewpoints if there is a clear benefit to society at large. By the way, standing desks and shorter work hours are another idea that come to mind. Now, it doesn't take long for Traver to convince me that the men's work that he is doing is vital to moving towards a more equitable and empathetic society for all genders, races, and other. Now, during the course of this conversation, I even realized that my Sunday Ninja training group is kind of, sort of, actually my unofficial men's group, for which, by the way, my wife will attest to the benefits. 
Now, whether you self-identify as a man or if you simply have men in your life, this episode will help you better understand what it means to be a man in today's society. And spoiler alert, it includes having real emotions and being able to express them honestly. All right, without further ado, my conversation with the founder of the Uncivilized Men's Movement, Traver Bohm. To access the show notes for this episode with all of the bonus links and resources discussed today, as well as to subscribe, leave a review, and more, simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash episode 180. I'm here today with Traver Bohm, who is the founder of the Uncivilized Men's Movement, which is the fastest growing men's movement in the world, and his intention every day is to help men Men and, by the way, women understand men and a couple of really cool, fun facts. He meditated for 28 days straight in complete isolation in pitch black darkness in a Guatemalan hut. Have a feeling there might be a story there. And you also lived in the frigid Utah wilderness for over a month with only a knife, a water bottle and a blanket. You, sir, sound like a reality show. So <laughs> welcome. <you. laughs> Such a pleasure to have you here, Traver. Thank you for having me, brother. Truly pleasure is mine. All right, so I'm probably going to start with what's a very common question, so much so that you got tired of answering it and you created an entire audio file that says the answer to what the hell is men's work? What does that Ooh. even mean? It's a juicy question, Zach. I appreciate you asking. It's like, to me, there's a pathway, right? There, there's a number of pathways for, for humans. Jiu-jitsu is a pathway. Fitness is a pathway. Christianity is a pathway. Uh, but specifically, one that's designed for people who are male is that actually identifying and diving into the characteristics, the patterns, the things that help, the things that hold us back as men is it's an entire pathway to satisfaction, to success, to better relationship, to joy, to peace, to all of the positive things that we want to get out of life as humans men have a specific pathway called men's work. And it's both an identification with what the hell has happened to us? What are the traumas? What are the big T traumas? What are the little T traumas? What is being male done to us in this current time, current culture? And then two, what the hell do we want to do with all of this? What do we want to do with our ideas, with our ability to, to lead, to build, to penetrate, to, to bring something new into the world? So to me, men's work is the marriage of both of those. What I see a lot in the self-development world or the, let's just call it that, is just one side of it. It's just the primal. It's like, you're a dude. What do you want to build? You want to get up at 4 a.m. and work out? Do you want to take cold showers? Do you want to fuck it up? Are we allowed to swear, by the way? You can. We'll, we'll probably be bleeping most of it, but I want you to be yourself. So don't okay. worry about it. You know, can you do that? It's are you a Gary V fan? Are you a Jocko fan? How much can you bench? How much can you deadlift? But we don't really get into the who are you here in your chest? Can you feel? Are you open to feeling? And this isn't a very popular conversation with a lot of men. Are you, do you understand that perhaps the things that have happened to you in your past are still informing you and your behaviors, even though you don't identify as a victim or, or whatever, it, whatever it is? So to me, that's actually what men's work is. It's really taking the totality of the human potential experience for a man and walking it day in, day out. 
Well, the part that I'm really interested in, obviously, based on the name of the program, is the totality of realizing potential. I've essentially now made up my life's work to help people realize their potential because I frankly don't think anybody is. Mm. However, I want to identify what I think is a pretty giant elephant in the room of this conversation that I'm sure mm. you've had to address more than once. Mm-hmm. We are two white males mm-hmm. talking about the needs of white male world. Mm-hmm. Right, like these these white men in this white male world, um, this probably is not the best time in human history to be caring about our own needs, given everything that's going on in the world. So, how how do you address the fact that you know, oh woe is me, I'm a I'm a mm-hmm. white male right now, and the the world has essentially been handed to me, or I've conquered it for hundreds, if not thousands, of years? But woe sure. is me and my feelings. Sure. Well, there it's not a woe is me. I think that's the reframe that needs to happen. It's an acceptance of the reality that white skin doesn't disclude me from a human experience. It doesn't disclude me from a unique experience that is my actual life. And if we actually do want to get to the root of what the quote white male problem is or the problems that we're enacting in the world, we have to not uh, bypass the fact that even though I have white skin and I have a shaved head and I look like your classic you know, uh, Charlottesville dude, that I still had things that happened to me. I still am responsible for my reactions to the pain and suffering that has happened in my life. I don't care how privileged you are. You could be the you know a prince, you could be a king, literally, but things have happened to you. You have wounds and you can either ignore them and pretend that they don't exist or say like, oh gosh, I'm not allowed to feel that because I look a certain way, I sound a certain way, and the culture tells me that I'm not allowed to then experience certain hurts. Or we can just take that shit and throw it out the window and go, okay, let's deal with reality, right? We just had three or four days ago, a mass shooting by a white male. I want, I'm really curious of that guy's past. I'm really curious of what he's lived through. And this is not a, whoa, poor him. I I hope the worst things happen to him. And I'm really curious as to what led him there. Culturally, it's not popular to look at the root. Culturally, we are obsessed with the branches. And we've made the branches into far more important aspects of culture then we have the actual roots. And we have this dysfunctional belief now that certain people aren't allowed to feel certain things because of how they look or identify. And then, wow, we're real shocked when we get a reaction from those people that we don't like. So it's it's this mix, Zach. We have to say, cool, as a white male, my life is very different than a lot of the planet. And if I want to take full responsibility for who I am and how I act as a human, I have to identify beyond the cultural label of what I look like. Well, all I can say, uh, just as a quick follow-up to that elephant in the room and what you alluded to, that if you and I took just a, a picture and you and I were holding tiki torches, people are going to make a lot of assumptions about who we are as people. Mm-hmm. And to us, we're going to think, well, how dare you think those things based on a single picture or an image or our skin color? And there's a huge swath of the global population that's like, yeah. Welcome to how we have felt for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? I get so it. So I think that that's, yeah. that's kind of, that's part of the awakening is that uh, even if uh, somebody, you know, like I've never considered myself, never even really seeing color or acknowledging that I'm different or better than anybody else. That's the way that I was raised. I've had, sure. you know, uh, friends of all races and all nationalities, and I've never even seen those things, but I never, nece- I didn't necessarily see the privilege either. And then the entire world shifted on its head a couple of years ago, and yeah. I would 
guess that that's kind of part of this awakening experience is really understanding how do I fit into all of this, both as a human, but more importantly, specifically as a man. Definitely. You know, one of the big challenges we have, and I'll use the word cultural evolutionarily, is that we separate the perpetrator from the perpetrated. And so we can say, let's take whiteness out of the question and go, how are we as men even allowed to acknowledge that things have happened to us when we are the ones who are perpetrating most of the ills on the world? And we can take that view and then we can get nowhere. One of the the current iterations of a new paradigm is to say, as a man, I do have these things that happen to me And my reaction to them, if it's unconscious, if it's unskilled, will create more trauma for the world. And so I don't know how to, like, I I was asked this uh, on a feminist podcast a couple months ago. How do we look at men with compassion as women who have been traumatized by men, as women who have been objectified, abused, subjugated, raped, murdered, all the things? And I was honest. I said, I don't know. I don't know how I ask someone who's lived with the trauma from men to forgive men, or even if that's the right thing to say, except that that's probably a reaction from that man being traumatized. Here's the juice. Most men who have been traumatized have been traumatized by other men too, or a vast majority of them. So we have this conundrum where we're kind of like, ah, is it eye for an eye? Is it total like bypassy acceptance or is it somewhere in the middle where we say okay we have to change our view of responsibility and we have to change our view of compassion and those two as men we and i say zach i put the, all the pressure or the onus on us hey i'm a dude i'm gonna make sure that other dudes aren't out there doing bad in the world and on the first way i'm gonna do that is to make sure that i'm not doing bad stuff in the world, which means I got to go to therapy. I got to get in a men's group. I got to get in front of other men who are like, hey, guess what? I think you're full of shit. I think you're, you're conning the whole world and you're actually doing stuff that we don't know behind our back. And, and we're going to call you forward. We're not going to punish you, but we're going to love you so much. We're going to say that behavior is not acceptable to us. And we want it to not be acceptable to you anymore. Now that's the shift, right? It's like equal parts love, equal parts responsibility, but it's man to man. That's where the big change is going to come. You said two very, very scary words for people that are supposed to be men. You use the word love and therapy. <laughs> you men just lost half are the not <laughs> supposed to have feelings, right? We're, right. We're, we're the rocks. We're the strong ones. Like that's kind of the, the old view of it. And, uh, I want to get a very clear understanding of where you come from and kind of the origin story mm. to really understand where all this is coming from. But I think to, to give a little bit more background just to you specifically, but also to my listeners, um, I was brought up in a household, uh, just at least the, the immediate household, where it wasn't about masculine or feminine. You're the strong one and you've got to be the provider. Like I was brought up in such a, a wonderful way and that it was like, you just be you as a person and as long as you're kind to people, that's it. 
like just be kind to everyone and be nice and provide value to others. That was great, right? Mm -hmm. But then in extended versions of my family or specifically the world that I lived in, which was a very, very, you know, rural area where it was all about the the bros that are, you know, going to be in the football team and in the weight room and the wrestling team. And I was like super sensitive and highly creative. Mm. So I was essentially a punching bag for most of my, uh, my uh, young life, right? Sure. So I have a lot of a lot of triggers and backgrounds to this idea of like the alpha male and the brohams in the weight room. And, mm -hmm. you know, ironically, when people look at me, make a judgment before I talk, I look like the broham in the weight room because I work out and I've got the shaved head and everything else just because I have no hair. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I see it from both sides where people see me as like that super crazy, strong alpha male. But I feel like I'm on the polar opposite end of the spectrum. So I'm curious what I've learned through years and years of personal development, or as you called it, self-development. Everybody that does self-development and turns it not only into their own personal journey, but into a job or a podcast or a book or whatever, they have an origin story and there's a reason for it. There's a moment that came up where they went from, this is who I was, mm -hmm. this thing happened, now I'm going in a different direction. Mm -hmm. What is your moment or your origin story that brought you to all of this so we can come back to this idea of men are not allowed to have feelings? Sure, sure, sure. There was a period of my life, this was probably seven years ago now, where in very short succession, uh, I, I was married and my ex-wife was pregnant and we lost that pregnancy. And in very short order, she took that as a sign that she needed to leave the marriage. And she did. And then within 24 hours, I had built a, a, a massive gym in Santa Barbara. My business partnership also began to end, completely independent of the other event. So it was your cliche. And I was about to turn, I think, 39. So it's your cliche midlife, welcome to rock bottom. Welcome to rock bottom in a way that's so big and so powerful and so overwhelming that you can't, I can't ignore it. I can't outlift it. I can't out drink it. I can't out smoke it. I can't out it. I can't out build another business. There's no, like, it's okay. I actually have to surrender to the fact that I'm going through a process that's bigger than I am. Things are getting cleared out that shouldn't be there or are no longer serving me is probably a better way to put it. And guess what? You're now going to have to create a relationship with pain. My entire life up to that point, I was a standard American dude, just like you. I was like pain. That's there's a pill for that. That's that. That means something bad's happening. That means that means I need to pretend that it's not happening or I need to rise above it and suddenly say, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. That rock bottom year, Zach, was my initiation into a different level of consciousness because it also required me to look back and take responsibility for the fact that, oh, this is the situation that I got myself into by ignoring a lot of really big red flags. And I did so by getting high every day, even though I ran a gym. I did so by drinking four or five nights a week. I wasn't a drinker. Like I wasn't a drunk, but what do you know? Two, three drinks every night, six pack on the weekend, no other social life that didn't revolve around alcohol. Like I was unconscious. And so this was really my coming to consciousness, let's call it. And it started the path of me beginning to ask and have to answer two questions. Who the hell am I? 
and who the hell am I as a man? That's when all of this started to come into place. And I found teachers, I found guides, I found books, I found workshops, I found all of the things that actually spoke to me at a depth beyond, cool, this weekend we're going to teach you how to Olympic lift. This weekend we're going to teach you how to swing a kettlebell and teach other people how to swing a kettlebell. This weekend, we're going to meditate for 12 hours a day, but we're going to do it so that we can disconnect from what's really happening in our lives, as opposed to dive into what's really happening in our lives. And so that year of hell was really the origin story of everything that I've built since and the way that I live and the way that I exist, the way that I teach, what I teach, and I'm still in it, right? Like I still go to therapy, I still go to workshops. I'm in men's groups now where I'm like, hey guys, I'm struggling. And and it may be a different flavor of struggle. I'm not sitting here being like, my wife just left. We just had a miscarriage and and my business partnership's over. But it's, hey, I want to get a hold on these little struggles so that I don't come to you guys two years from now after saying, hey, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I just got my secretary pregnant. I have a Coke problem and I'm burning down my house this weekend. Like, which is most men's path if they're not on the path. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And uh, without going too deep into uh, any any details, because I need to be careful of this, but um, I have somebody very close in my family that uh, it's almost like you just uh, wrote their recent story where it was just like, everything's great. Everything's great. Pillar of their community. And you're like, what's been going on for the last mm-hmm. year or two? Like, so I, I won't go into the details, but sure. um, I, I can very much resonate with uh, with this on a personal perspective, knowing somebody else that kind of went down that that path without the support or the men's group or um, yeah. any of those other things. Um, so I guess the, the next thing to, to better understand is for somebody that's heard you say men's group several times, why can't it just be a group? Why does it have to be a men's group? Why do we need to differentiate? You and I are unique I think women are unique in the same way that there's something that happens when the group, a group of a circle of men get together, our nervous systems connect in a way that's different than if there's one single woman in the room, we look similar, we smell similar, there's testosterone in the air and there's a familiarity, Zach, that I don't know how to quantify. Like I can't tell you biochemically what happens, but I can tell you after running circles for years now, I think it is the familiarity of, hey, this guy's like me. This guy's this guy knows who I am on a very visceral core level. And that allows for a vulnerability and a, and a shared reality. That's the best way to put it. Here's an example. When I first started running men's circles, I would say, okay, everybody here, raise your hand if you've ever had an issue with alcohol, any kind of issue with alcohol at all. Right. And it was like, everyone would kind of look around and then, then the first hand would go up. And then what do you know? Like 90% of the hands, I'm like any issue. Okay. hundred percent of the hands go up. All right. How about with drugs? And it's the same. Now there's a little more shame perhaps. And a little bit of like eh, a little more hiding first hand goes up. Boom. Most of the hands, if not all the hands go up, here's the biggie where I know we're going to have some, some challenge. Okay. How many of you have had an issue with porn at any point in your life? And it's like, immediately the eyes go down. Like, there's some mumbling to themselves. One pinky goes up of one dude. And then every damn hand, I'm like, all of you put your damn hands up. And then here's the kicker question. 
how many of you thought you were going to be the only one in the room to answer your question, to answer yes to any of these questions? And every hand goes up. So there's this dysfunctional view that gets popped. The dysfunctional view is I'm the only one going through this experience. As a dude, I'm the single guy keeping Pornhub alive. I'm the single guy keeping Anheuser-Busch in business and every Colorado weed store in business. Somehow we believe that. But then here's what happens, the magic, Zach. When you look around the room and go, oh, you too, you too, you too, you too, you too. And vast majority of these meetings, let's say, are heteronormative. Most of the guys are heterosexual. So there is zero competition for the one woman in the room that you're like, hey, I don't want her to know. It's, it's different if a woman knows because I may just possibly want to be with her. There's no romance flying around. This is just, it's like back to, I don't know what your teenage years were, but from like 12 to 14, I had a little skateboard gang. And it was like, we could talk about anything. We were all in, like people could cry, people got hurt. We took care of each other. And then 15, 16, when women came in the picture, Suddenly everything changed because my buddy John is with Susan and I really want to be with Susan. So John's now my competition. Now I have to keep things from, now I keep things to myself. Now I'm quote a man. I'm not allowed to experience these really normal feelings. So I'll make sure that my life on the surface is perfect or great. Just like you're the person you were talking about. Right. When I when I had hit my downfall, my business was making more money than I ever had before. I was in the best shape of my life. I just started writing publicly. People were in shock when I said, Hey, by the way, like I get high every day. And I know you guys don't know that. Hey, I drink a ton. Hey, I'm I'm looking at more porn than like it could kill a horse. My marriage is a disaster. We are constantly fighting. Like you two, you're like the perfect cup. I know. And so I'd created this outward persona that didn't allow for the truth of what the inward experience was. And so to answer your question, when it becomes a room full of men, we get to go, hey, we don't give a shit who drove here in a Porsche and who had to walk here in sandals. What's going on in the inside? And there's this collective safety that's created because we're all men. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, 
it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. Uh, that is an incredibly uh, well-articulated answer and really helped me better understand this. And I hope it helped everybody else better understand it. And I want to follow that up because you just made me realize something that I didn't realize about my own life, which is really interesting. Um, uh, since the beginning of 2018, I had set the stupidly audacious goal of I'm going to become an American Ninja Warrior. Massive dad bod, had dealt with huge amounts of burnout and depression, like suicidal depression, mm. had no business even thinking about this, no experience in parkour or gymnastics or anything. It's like, yeah, right, whatever. But I'm like, no, when I decide I'm going to do something, I just do it, right? And within about six months through networking and various relationships, I found my way into Tony Horton's backyard, who is the creator of the P90X programs. Mm -hmm. Anybody in fitness knows the name Tony Horton. Mm -hmm. um, and I've worked out with him just about every Sunday for the last four years. Wow. What I didn't realize until just now is that working out with Tony Horton is my men's group. Mm -hmm. Because there's usually anywhere between three to five to 10 of us. Every once in a while, there's a woman that shows up. And it's a great experience when the woman's there, but we always talk about how, man, it's really different here today. What's different? Oh, it's because mm. a woman came. We just, it feels different where everybody kind of has to behave a slightly different way. We're, you know, more courteous. Like there's, you know, there, there's a lot of, it's just the guys like getting out all the, you know, mm. the nastiness and all. It's just, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where if there were ever like video cameras, we probably all get ourselves in trouble. Right. Sure. sure. Um, Cause it's just getting it out of our systems. But right. in between the exercises, which are all brutal, cause it's a, a four hour workout combination, pushing exercises, pulling exercises. So imagine P90X on steroids for four hours. Wow. But in between exercises, it's just talking about life and there's this thing mm -hmm. happening at work. And it just never occurred to me until now, this is a men's group, moron. It is. I'm like, what's a men's group? Oh, I've been in one for four years. And it's now at the point where my wife has seen such benefit from me going that she said to me last weekend or a couple of weekends ago, at least as far as when we're recording this, uh, it was right before Mother's Day. She's like, why aren't you going to your workout on Sunday? I'm like, mm. it's mother's day she's like no you should go to the workout no of course we're going to get you she's like you should go to the workout right because she sees the difference that it makes yeah and it had never really occurred to me until now that that's what it was but it is a, a much safer space to just kind of let a lot of that stuff out of your system and you're like and a lot of the people that come are pseudo or either major celebrity status like i've met some pretty big a-listers there mm -hmm. and they're just talking about all their issues and problems i'm like we, we got all the same problems, right? Exactly. So I've, I've exactly. found that it's tremendously beneficial, obviously for push and pull strength and bicep sure, size, sure, sure, but sure. it's so much more important for mental health. So I wanna talk more about this fear or the stigma that as a, a man, mm. you're not supposed to focus on mental health. You just swallow your feelings. You're the mm. provider. You're the one that shows up. You're the rock. Sure. You can't have these feelings and the idea of going to therapy, like, mm. come on, like no way. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Sure. 
we have culturally, we're still not at a point where <clears throat> we understand what role feelings play in the male animal, right? And our, probably our dads and grandfathers are, we're probably about the same age. It was a very different idea of what was needed from those men. My dad was around the Vietnam era. My grandfather was World War II. We couldn't send those men into the situations that we sent them in and have them come back into the situations that they came back in and say, by the way, we need you to have full access and full expression to your entire emotional library. We need that to be more important than your ability to compartmentalize and get things done, right? My grandfather was a second wave of the of Normandy. They didn't stop the boats like a half a mile out and be like, John, how you feeling? Okay, John's scared. John's going to leave the boat. Stuart, you look a little bit upset. How are you? You're a little emotional? Cool. Step out of this one, right? They couldn't do it. We, we, we weren't there in, in any point of the culture, any point of society. I would say similar to Vietnam, although it was swinging out. Now, unfortunately, we've swung the pendulum all the way over to the other side. And we've said, guys, you need to be ruled entirely by your emotions, if you're not crying, if you're not triggered and in a safe space and, and, and micro all the things, then, then you're a toxic male. Oh, by the way, California is now on fire. We need 10,000 of you to forget everything we, that we just told you and go fight these fires and, and die and watch your buddies get burned and have all this trauma and then come home and be like, okay, okay, okay. Now we need you to not be micro aggro at like any, anybody's anything. So we, ha we have this weird... Like we haven't landed somewhere that people understand yet, Zach, with the idea of emotion. And so what I'm trying to bring or what I am bringing into the culture is the yes and of yes, you need to, there are days when you need to get your ass up and you need to get to work. You need to take your feelings, you need to put them on the shelf and you need to accomplish the task. And there's going to be a lot of times when you actually have to take those feelings off the shelf look at them, examine them, feel them with the help of someone who this is what they do all day. They navigate you. They prefer you're there. You go to Tony Horton's house, not because he's Tony Horton, because he's a pro because he's teaching you. He's guiding you, right? There's a reason why you're getting that from that person. So we need to look at trauma, man. We need to look at saying, Hey, men who are traumatized, traumatize people in a really brutal way. Women who are traumatized often just re-traumatize themselves. They go inward. We go outward, right? There's a reason why there's not a lot of school shooters who are women or a lot of mass shooters who are women. There's a reason why a lot of women don't beat the shit out of their husbands when they get upset, but they get depressed. They become more internal. So for us guys, we need to realize that whatever we suppress, it's going to come out sideways. I don't give a shit who you are. It's going to come out sideways. And what we deny will eventually be exponentiated feeling wise. And so we can say this is like, Hey, we're logical creatures, right? Like we get it. I can look at a spreadsheet. I understand spreadsheets. If we say, huh, if I pretend that this line doesn't exist, this line's going to grow. It's probably going to grow in a way that's going to create even more trauma for somebody else. So this is why I say to men, it is now your responsibility to deal with, alchemize, work through, accept, and take ownership for how the things that have happened to you, 
the grief that you hold, the pain that you hold, the trauma that you've received, the wounds of your life, you have to take responsibility for the fact that they exist and that you're probably acting out of alignment or out of character or in ways that you don't like or ways that are hurting other people. And just take that whole sentence and stop right there and go, okay, if I'm responsible for my actions, I also have to be responsible for what's coming out of the source of them. And that's new. So if we deny men the access to therapy culturally, you can't go to therapy. What are you, a wuss? That sentence right there is why, if we're, again, if we're logical creatures, which I think we are, let's just take a look at some statistics. Let's look at depression rates in men, suicide rates, who's, who's winning those, murder rates, domestic violence rates, addiction rates. We're winning all of those. And I don't mean in a good way. So if we look at the statistics, we say this is the reaction to how we're acting and how we're living. So we can say, wow, we can't do that anymore. No more suicide, no more murder, no more sexual violence, no more domestic violence. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, you can't go to therapy or you're a wuss. Well, I see a little bit of a conundrum then. What I'd rather do is shift the culture that says, hey, man, that thing happened to you and I'm really sorry. And now you need to take responsibility for the fact that it's making you do things that you don't want to do. So instead of trying to white knuckle this, like, okay, I'm just never, ever going to look at porn again. Go to therapy or go to a men's group if therapy is too scary. Hire a coach, hire someone where you can speak. And here's a key word, the truth, not the truth in your head, which is like, ah, you know, my upbringing wasn't really that bad. I never got hit with a closed fist but the truth in your heart and the truth in your stomach. She's like, God, it was terrifying to live in my house. It was terrifying whenever my dad came home and I heard those keys hit the counter. I was, it was, I felt hopeless. I felt helpless. I felt like a, a weakling. I felt impotent. I wanted to save my mom. I wanted whatever. Like that's the truth. When men speak the truth and other men see them and recognize them and hear them, then the healing happens. And then what do you know? They're not looking at porn. They're not drinking five nights a week. They're not working themselves to death. They're not thinking about killing themselves. In, I'm not trying to take away from the, the power of, of, of capital T trauma, but so many men, Zach, I've been in this business now long enough to hear the stories that go, I have no idea how you're even, I'm literally me going, I have no idea how you're even functioning as a human, given what you've just told me that you witnessed and lived through. And you you started the sentence by saying it wasn't that bad. And then talk about, you know, your career in law enforcement where you had to pull dead kids out of cars or you were walking in and seeing like just the horror. And this is law. This is first responders. This is soldiers. And this is just normal dudes who grew up in really, really awful environments. You're like, well, you know, someone else had it worse or well, like I'm white. So, I mean, a lot of people have it worse or I'm a dude. A lot of people have it worse. And then we go, okay, but look at your behavior. Your behavior is the indicator of the truth, not your, your, your words that are dismissing it. Make sense? Oh, it absolutely makes sense. And uh, what it brings up is something that I've been reading about quite a bit lately and also something we talk about a lot um, in our Sunday men's group, as I'm now going to think of it. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's this idea that there's always going to be pressure. The pressure is always going to be there and it's always going to build up. The pressure comes out in some way, 
So are you going to find a healthier release valve or an unhealthy release valve, right? So one of the things that Tony always says, uh, he says it in his videos, he says it on Sunday all the time, is that you can be angry, right? I want you to find that anger and be angry. You're never angry at your wife. You're never angry at your puppy. You're not angry at your kids. Get angry with these push-ups. Get angry with this rope or this pegboard. Like this is the place to get rid of it. And that's one of the reasons that I go even on weeks where I feel like crap. Actually, the weeks that I feel like crap are when I force myself to go more because it used to be, well, I don't feel so great about the workouts or I ate crap or I drank last night. It's like the worse I feel, the more I push myself to go because the chasm between how I feel at 9 a.m. and 1 p.m., I'm two different people which is again, my wife on Mother's Day, no, really, you should go to your workout. Wink, <laughs> wink, nudge, nudge, here's right? Here's your keys, here's your bag. Yeah. Because that that safety valve has to be released in some way, shape or form. Right. And I've just found a way to release it in a healthy way, even though every Monday morning, I feel like I've been hit by a truck. Sure. But I feel like a different person where I, I've hit the reset button, so to speak. Yeah. But in some of the things that I've uh, read, for example, um, about like some uh, like A-list elite level athletes, you always see the like, oh, this person, you know, it's making tens of millions of dollars. They've got everything. And then all of a sudden they're sleeping around or they're a drunk and people are like, why would you ruin all this? Why would you take all these things that you've been given this gift and this money and this celebrity? Why would you be so dumb as to destroy it? But that's somebody that's thinking logically about something that's very emotional. And to me, it makes sense. I'm like, oh, I see why. Like Tiger Woods, totally makes sense why he did what he did. I don't condone any of the behavior, but logically, I'm like, yeah, I, I can understand why he would have behaved the way he did years ago because of the immense amount of pressure he was under. So I'm assuming that this kind of pressure release valve is something that you guys talk about all the time. All the time. I just did a workshop three weeks ago in Austin. And one of the guys, God bless him, said... So you, he said this to me in response to what I had said. He said, so you said this is a safe place for us to fall apart. How do we do that? And I thought, how many of us, like right now, you, I see over your shoulder, it says dad. If you were like, you know, in the house, this is a great place for me just to fall apart all over the place. Probably not the best thing for a parent to do or to do it day after day, week after week. But if, if the pressure is building so much, and you're just trying to, if we say in quotes, keep it all together, at some point it's going to crack, right? Anytime there's a, a crack in a foundation, which is what I view being human, you, you don't get to be 30 without some cracks in the foundation. Some stuff has happened. Susie Johnson broke up with you in the third grade. Guess what? There's a tiny little crack in your foundation. That will either come out through pressure which is, oh, you just had your second kid. Oh, you just got a $10 million sponsorship from Nike and now your pictures in Times Square will come out from pressure or from time. Oh, you've been married for 25 years. Oh, you've been at this job for 30 years. Oh, you've been in this position for 15 years. The foundation crumbles. Or like you said, guys need a way to blow off that steam. We need to really take the, the lid off of it or they're ticking time bombs. I said the same thing with Tiger Woods. Like anyone who said, how could he, how, I was like, imagine his life. Imagine living that under that much scrutiny. What did he do? He had a secret life. Again, I'm not condoning it either, brother, but it makes perfect sense. If the cameras are on you all day, every moment of every day, wouldn't you want something that's a little bit yours? Now you can do that consciously. And say, hey, I need to have a day a week where like no one gets access to me. 
or you do it unconsciously and say, huh, I'm going to have a couple of affairs with the nanny. No one's going to know about it. It has to, by nature, be secret. So when I talk to so many men, I ask them, what are you denying or what are you suppressing? And, and be honest, how is it coming out in your life in ways that you would rather it not? And it's like that level of honesty of that level of an honest conversation is how we actually deal with what's real, Zach. We deal with what's real. We can't take a group of men and say, okay, because you anatomically have different genitalia, you don't feel things. Okay, we good here? Is that, is that a smart move as a culture? It, it just doesn't work, right? Because you have broader shoulders, because you have testosterone, it doesn't work. But we then also don't get to say, hey, by the way, we just, we as a culture have decided that men are just big, hairy women. And we're going to ask you to act in the exact same way. Okay, we cool here? Okay, good. Good luck with that too. It doesn't work. So we need the yes and of the reality of we are different. We're wired different. Testosterone does different things to our bodies, our minds, and our, our lives. And we're humans. We need to have emotional intelligence. We need to have skill. It's another big word with guys. We're like, I, if I ask a lot of guys, how do you feel? They go, I don't know. No one's ever asked me. I'm like, cool. Can you, can you, can you feel into your body? And like, yeah, yeah. I feel my arms. Like, okay. Awesome. <laughs> do you work out this morning? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I feel my pecs, bro. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel sadness? No. Okay. Do you feel frustration? Do you feel grief? Do you feel, uh, you feel anger, right? Like, oh yeah, I feel anger. I feel anger. Okay. So they need the skill and the attunement to actually realize what's happening to them humanly so that they can then work with it. We've given men the acceptance. You're allowed to be angry. And we've given women the acceptance. You're allowed to be sad. But oftentimes, what do we say if a woman's angry? Like, oh, we call her a name. Like, oh, you're She's a crazy, right? She's crazy. Absolutely. She's crazy. And a dude who's sad, oh, you're a wuss. You're a weakling. So that's where we see a, a lot of the challenges culturally. Uh, I feel like I'm rambling. No, you're not rambling at all. I tell you if you were rambling, I think this okay. is all great. And uh, I think there's a really important word that I'm, my guess is you brought it up before, but I want to make sure that it's very clear. Because I think that uh, at least what I've learned in my upbringing, again, in a very alpha male type of community and culture, not household, wanted to, to differentiate those because that was not my household, but very much community um, of uh, alpha males. And it's exactly like you said, men don't have feelings and they're strong and they're on the football team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, is that when you're thinking about antonyms, strength, the antonym to strength is not necessarily just weakness, it's also vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And what I've come to realize and believe is that one of my greatest strengths as both a human and a man is the fact that I'm intensely, insanely vulnerable. For sure. But that is terrifying when you realize that. A thousand percent. Your sensitivity, I will even project onto you as, as someone, you said, I'm an artist. I bet your sensitivity is a strength. And wouldn't it be in certain circumstances? Hey, if we needed you, if we were out in the woods and someone was trying to kill us and we're like, hey man, who's got the best ears, eyes, and feelings? Zach, okay, you're the strong one. But we don't look at that culturally. I'm, I'm a jujitsu guy. I was like, vulnerability? I'm gonna get choked. At no point was a coach ever like, hey, you need to cultivate vulnerability when someone's mounted on top of you and sliding their hands around your neck. Like, no, you need to get out of it. But we have to learn that we're not always under attack. We're not always being invaded. When I'm sitting across from my partner at dinner and she says, hey, 
your dad's sick. How are you feeling about that? She's not wrapping her hands around my throat. And it would behoove me and behoove her and behoove our relationship if I was actually real about that. Now, it also puts a little bit of onus on her. Because if I say, wow, I'm really sad. And she's like, pussy. Like, oh, wow, you're not a real man. Look at you feeling sad about that. Then I shut down and I learn that being open and honest with her is a bad thing. And what's happened to so many of us, we are, we're like this one and done creature. Like one time we were sensitive in the fourth grade and we got punched in the arm and called a wuss for it. And so in the fourth grade, we're like, cool, I get it. I will never, ever, 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 ever again show any kind of vulnerability or weakness. And now at 42, when, you're, when your wife's asking you, hey, how do you feel? You're like, oh yeah, I remember what happened in fourth grade. Like, I'm fine. She's like, okay, you don't seem fine. (laughs) No, but I'm fine. And so we have to learn to mature as well and recognize that we can take care of ourselves. We're going to be okay. And this isn't before we even dive into the creation of trust in a relationship requires vulnerability. Like, you know, as a dude, if you have a buddy that's going through a hard time and you can see it, it's written all over him. It's written, it's like his patterns has changed. You're like, hey man, how are you? He's like, I'm fine. Come on. I don't, I don't need to be a, a psychologist here to recognize that you're not being truthful with me. So if, if, he, if, if that's the case, then how do you have trust? If every time you ask someone, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like, hey man, it looks like you're, you're bankrupt. Nope, I'm rich, I'm rich. I'm like, well, we don't create trust that way. And then what do we not get? And I know this is a terrifying word for men. We don't get intimacy. And we are craving and starving for realness with each other, with the world, with our women, with our children, with our our male partner. I don't care care how you design your relationship. We're all starving for for real intimacy, especially in the last three years of this is a Zoom screen. I'm blessed that we get to do this. But how many of us had to live for years with this being our human interaction? So men as a culture need to say, hey, we require some things that we were told we didn't. And again, if we think that, we, that we were, they were right and we were wrong, then let's, let's get the statistics that prove how well we're doing. Okay, those don't exist. So let's actually shift things and say, hey, man, I trust you, Zach, because you're open with me. I trust you when you share what's real with me. I trust you when you get to meet me in the places that I'm being real with you. I trust you because you actually ask me, hey man, how else are you besides fine? You won't let it go at fine. You're not like, okay, cool, high five, let's go play basketball, right? That's where we as a culture of men need to get. And if we speak to the women on the audience, they're craving this from us too. And they're craving us starting to take care of ourselves and not outsource our emotional needs just from them. Like they got their own stuff to do. They have a lot of, they have a ton of stuff to deal with being female humans on this planet. They need us to start to take care of each other and start taking care of ourselves so that we can actually the ones who take care of them or hold for them emotionally because they have a whole different nervous system than we do. They have a whole different set of stresses than we do. They walk around in very different bodies that have very different reactions and they have just a radically different human experience because they are, and I'm, I'm just going to generalize, 
a little bit smaller, a little bit less physically strong, a little bit less physically aggressive, and far more vulnerable to our outbursts and our outbursts politically and our outbursts one-to-one. So that's where I say the cultural shift needs to happen. Let's, let's deal with the root so that men get healthy and men can then be healthier with women and with children. I know I'm speaking to a father, right? One of the, the best things that comes out of the workshops I run is when guys come up and say, this whole thing has just changed my kid's life forever. And, and I start crying like a baby and I don't care. So I'm like, good. Cause that kid is going to have a kid and that kid may have a kid. And that th- then we've shifted the whole deal. And so while I'm really grateful that that man's life is going to be different, what I'm really after is the downstream effect of how many people he's going to change. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core 360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. And that's what I think is so important to point out is that if you are going to go to therapy or find a release valve or a men's group or whatever it is, I think that a lot of people might see that as being selfish, not understanding here's how it's going to make me a better and more present father or better and present spouse or friend or whatever it might be. But I think that talking about this idea of swinging pendulums and whatnot, um, I've got four words that I know are going to trigger the hell out of you. Happy wife, happy life, and go. It's a lie. It's, I say it's responsible for more divorces than Facebook and Eat, Pray, Love put together. And I know that, that in itself will trigger some people. It's happy life, happy life. If you are literally, as a man, so codependent that the only way you're going to have a happy life is if you make someone else happy, brother, good luck to that. I can sit here, I can give you the names of thousands of divorced men, who, myself included, who adopted that mantra. And how many women, if we say, really, is that how you want your partnership to be? Do you want your partner to hide his needs, to be afraid of conflict, to not have a mission, not have a purpose, not lead, not be sovereign, 
and to need you, hear the words, need you to be happy for him to be happy? Is that really the kind of authentic conscious relationship you want to have? Any woman with any grain of consciousness in her soul will say no. Any human will, right? I, I use the example, I was a bodyguard in Hollywood for for a decade almost. And you would see these guys come into talent agencies. You'd see like the big wig director. They'd have like a circle of yes people around them. Oh my God, that's a great idea. Yes, 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 yes. And I remember thinking, this is when I was in my 20s. I remember thinking at some point, does that guy not want someone to go, hey, I think that's a really dumb idea, right? It's, I know I do. I have a wonderful, incredible group of guy friends and men all over the world. And many times they're like, hey, man, that's pretty stupid. I'm like, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. If they were constantly saying like, no, 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 you're, you're a genius. You're brilliant. Oh, you're upset right now? I totally changed my answer. I totally changed my answer. Let me just collapse what I, what I think and believe so that you're okay. And I need you to be okay so that I'm okay. That would drive us crazy. Because it's not happy wife, happy life. It's not the root of it. The root is I'm okay only if you're okay. Now that doesn't give my partner or whoever this other person is even the allowance to have her own experience because part of being human sometimes is not being okay. Part of being human is not being happy all the time. So what it's really saying is let me be manipulative and controlling and conniving and collapsed so that you're okay and you're happy, so that I don't feel threatened in any way by being who I am. And if that whole five-minute diatribe hasn't shifted people, then just embrace the fact that you want control over your partner, that, that women, you want a little boy. That's who you're marrying to, married to or in partnership with. Because a grown-ass man will say, hey, I don't agree with that. And a grown-ass man will want to be with a woman who says, hey, guess what? I'm not okay. Right? I'm not really happy with that answer. I still love you. I'm not leaving the partnership. I'm, this isn't blow up the container of our relationship. But man, if there can't be any conflict in a relationship, I don't know what I think that's, that's not real. It's not real. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. And uh, to bring up something very, very personal that I don't even think I've ever talked about in 300 plus episodes, but this uh, kind of triggered a memory. Um, like anybody else that's been married 15 years, two kids living in Los Angeles, both of us working parents, we've had some very close calls. Things have been very rough. We've had our dark periods. So I don't think that that's like, oh my God, like I, I don't have a perfect marriage because I don't think that anybody does. And if they say they do, I'll show you a liar. <laughs> right? But I would say that if I had to pinpoint the one single thing that has brought me to the point where right now I'm not only still married, but happily married through all of it, is that my wife and I, when we got engaged, we made a pact. We said, if at any point either of us is unhappy, we have to tell the other person and we have to be willing to go to therapy. Mm. We And that was it. We just Beautiful. said, okay, we agree. Yep. So the, having that openness to say, hey, this is really hard to say, but remember the pact, we need to talk. And we mm. both had that conversation more than once. But if we didn't have that safety valve or safety net, so to speak, right. I would not be married right now. We would not have been able to figure it out. But because of that one conversation and that vulnerability and you have permission to say that you are not happy and vice versa, I'm still married. Beautiful. It's Without true. that, we wouldn't be here. Right. You had to deal with what's real. One of my teach co-teachers and... and and mentors, a guy named Dewey Freeman, 
who's in his 70s and has been a therapist longer than you and I have been alive and says like the actual definition of intimacy and relationship is going through hard things together and then coming out the other side okay, which is exactly what you just verbalized. Hey, there's something going on. Okay, this is uncomfortable. No one really is like, sweet. My wife just told me she's not happy and we're going to therapy. Awesome. I'm stoked for this. But what's on the other side? is the actual connection, the depth, the, the relatedness. Like, oh, I didn't know that. Thank you. Oh, and by the way, look at us. We just went through some hard stuff and here we are still together. That's to me is like solidifying that foundation of a relationship. So and it's, it's good also, for you. it's the source of intimacy, right? <laughs> Having to go through that, you go from just we're at each other and I hate everything you do and I hate everything you do and you drive me crazy to you go through this process and you're like, man, when did I become so much more connected to this person? Right. So it's, yeah. it's, but, but you have to, as you would say, which is going to be what I call in the industry, the perfect segue <laughs> doing hard shit, yeah. right. Yep. So I want to talk a little bit more about what that means to you. Cause to me, it means that I go out and I run a Spartan race or a tough mm -hmm. mudder. And I put mm -hmm. myself in incredibly uncomfortable positions that are still safe ish, safe-ish situations, but I have to do it with others. So it's not just about intimacy with my wife. Like I've got a, a close friend of mine that's a, a fellow ninja. You'd see the guy, you'd think like, oh, there's another alpha bro male, right? So the antithesis of it, but you see us running a Spartan race. That's what you would think. Mm -hmm. But he and I have a very intimate connection because we do very hard shit together. Mm -hmm. And I've never forged closer relationships with just platonic ones, either with males or females faster mm -hmm. than running a race with somebody For and sure. having to literally trudge underneath barbed wire through mud and electricity. And like, you really get to know somebody really, really quickly. And I'll have new best friends in the matter of three hours mm -hmm. because I'm doing hard with other people. And you've got an entire program built around this mm -hmm. concept. Mm -hmm. It's again, the yes. And Zach of like how, and I'm just, I'll just ask you, how was your first podcast episode? Was it, were you, were you not nervous? Did you know exactly what you were doing? Were you terrified that there wouldn't be like a eight second pause between a question and like everything in life requires some challenge, everything worthwhile. And I'm not one of those people that like life just has to be hard. If at any point it's going well, you have to look out and make it harder. But we have these initiations, let's call them these thresholds that we have to pass through. Starting a podcast is an initiation. Doing a Spartan race is an initiation. Going to therapy with your wife three years in is an initiation. It's the entry fee to a new way of existing. That's why I say it's really valuable to look at things that are happening to you and not just immediately say like, oh, they're happening for me. Sometimes it just happens to you. But to say, I get to look at challenges as either, gosh, this is hard. I'm going to run the other direction or look at them and say, okay, this is an initiation for me. What I want is what's on the other side of this experience, right? I want to get to the point where I've done 300 episodes. I can show up two minutes before I can easily guide a beautiful conversation, any which direction it can go. There could be tears. There could be laughter. I can share things I've never shared before, but you earn that. That wasn't episode one. You've earned that through 300. And I imagine there are times when you're like, this was a hard one. This was, that was not an easy one to get through, right? So if we just use that example, I want men specifically, I work with men and women, but specifically men to take the do hard 
idea and and put it in the physical plane because a lot of guys it's like you know what you need bro you need push-ups like you've been in therapy for eight years you need to go do some shit. but then the guys were like wow you can do a thousand push-ups but you just told me you're fine even though you're clearly not fine i need you to take the do hard parameter let's say or archetype and say okay what's really hard What's really hard, and I will speak to this because I'm, I'm even in the middle of it right now with some family stuff that's happening, is I need to take that same frame on the inner life, on my, on my emotional life, on my, gosh, why do I keep doing this thing? Why do I keep running into the same pattern? Why am I having the same argument over and over and over? Why do I start five businesses, but then as soon as they stop being sexy, go, oh, that wasn't the thing for me. I need to do X. Why is it that my relationship with my family isn't the way I want it? But gosh, let me just throw my hands up in the air and say, golly gee whiz, that's just the way things are. So I want men to look both externally and internally. And I will say, I've had guys come through workshops, et cetera, that have been the highest level of elite athleticism or military or like the alpha of the alpha. That Their lives have been like video games, right? And here they are with their hands shaking and after working through something or getting processed through something saying, that's the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my life. Like literally the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my life. And so I say to guys, like, you think you're tough? Okay, cool. It's one thing to be tough and go run five miles till you puke, do your pull-ups, do the things. It's another thing to say, okay, I'm tough. I'm actually going to face what's true. I'm actually going to surrender to a process that's going to take me places internally that I am terrified to go. We need to get you in the room with David Goggins. <laughs> I would love to. Right? There's a scary experience for that guy. For anybody that's not familiar with David Goggins, like love the alpha him. of the alpha of the alpha is hard of a human being as anybody that I've ever been exposed to ever. Like his book is just insane. Mm -hmm. But there's also a big part of me that's like, Clearly that guy's trying to work out a lot of stuff and he's very open and vulnerable about what those things are in his book. And I think his book was a form of therapy. Um, and without kind of belaboring this point too much, just because everybody in the world has talked about it over the, the last couple of months, but going back to this idea of safety release valve and understanding somebody's behavior, even if we don't condone it. I don't know if you read Will Smith's biography, I have but it was absolutely phenomenal. Mm. I had just finished reading it. And I said, I got to get this guy in my podcast. Three days later, the Oscars, mm -hmm. right? And everybody's like, oh my God, he's at the, at, like literally the height of his career happened that night. And everybody's saying, how could this have happened? <laughs> Read chapter one of his book and it all makes complete and total sense. Mm -hmm. But like you said, it's not just, well, I've got to do the hard and the hard is, you know, go into a Spartan race mm -hmm. for me. The Spartan race was the hard thing because I was the soft, sensitive, creative person. And I needed to kind of bring that that inner physical warrior out so I can balance the two. And there are other people that, yeah, they would run a Spartan race with me and they're awesome. And I'd say, you know, tell me what you're really feeling today. That would be impossible for them. So I really like how you framed it as it's not just about, you know, do something that we all consider hard. It's what's the hard thing for you? Right. Mm -hmm. Whenever I'm given a decision between two things, and this happens at Tony's all the time, where it's like, well, I've got an idea for two moves. I'm not sure which one I want to do. My question is always, well, which one's harder? It's like, well, it's this one. That's the one we're doing. Mm -hmm. 
And everybody else in the group is like, oh God, I'm like, I want to do the harder thing. But it took me years to be able to confidently be that guy where always it was, oh, I'm afraid of the hard thing. So I'm going to choose the comfortable thing, right? So given that's the case, if somebody has all this hard that they're suppressing, they spent so much time avoiding it. How do they even know they're avoiding it? It's not even there. It's one thing to say, I have all of these suppressed feelings, but I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to be vulnerable because I'm not supposed to. But have you ever gotten to the point where they literally just don't even know that it's there because it's so deep, it doesn't even exist. They can't even access it. Yes. That's where it requires some guidance, right? When you showed up to Tony's, he wasn't like, cool. What, what's, the, what's the move that you don't know that you can't do yet? He was like, here, try some stuff. Oh, what do you know? You got really weird shoulder flexibility, don't you? You have some weakness in your traps. You have some weakness here. Oh, what do you know what's underneath that? What's underneath that? What's underneath that? There's a lot of things, Zach, that I believe are too big to hold on our own. They just are, right? We don't have the capacity to deal with them on our own, which is why we have to do this in relationship. And I'm not talking about with your romantic partner. That may be you and I on the phone. That may be you surrounded by four other men. That may be you sitting across from a professional, right? The first time I did jujitsu, I didn't walk in and say, hey, here's the, the chink in my defense. Here's where people can get the, I didn't know. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. They were like, here, roll around for a little bit. Okay, this is the problem with your, your game. And it's still, I still show up to people. Like, I don't know. I just keep getting choked in the same way. They're like, cool, let me see. Oh, well, here's the thing. Let me ask, let me show me a cup. Oh, you're putting your hand here. You don't even know that you're, put, I'd be like, I'm putting my hand up here. And they're like, really? That's interesting. It's on your neck. Like, no, it's not. It's over my head. Like, no, no it's on your neck. And so uh, for a lot of us, that's the thing. We don't know our own blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots. I don't know my own blind spots. Personally, I'll be like, I don't have any. And then I can pull my partner in here and be like, okay, you guys got another hour. Uh, he's got some <laughs> blind spots. And I think that's the thing. That's why we do this in relationship. That's why you go train with other people. That's why you train with a coach. It's why you have friends. It's why you have a partner, people who get to see things that you don't get to see. So if a guy doesn't even feel it though, and it, here's my question is, how is your life really? Is it fulfilling? Is it satisfying? Are you full of joy? Do you wake up with energy? You know this with diet, right? People are like, my diet's great. Then you have them eat a certain way for two months. Like, oh my God, I had no idea I could feel like this. I just thought being gassy and bloated was normal, but two months off dairy and wow, that's my new normal. But it requires an intervention of someone else or someone else's knowledge to get you there. But if a guy is waking up and saying, okay, let's be real though. Here's the results you're getting. Here are the things you're doing. How are your anxiety levels? How often are you depressed? How often are you drinking? You have this idea, but you haven't enacted it in the world. You're, you're in your third relationship that only lasted three months. Okay, talk to me here. Let's see if we can look at the results and then work backwards. And, and again, like you said, show me a human who's like, I got no issues. And <laughs> I'll show you a liar, mm. right? And I don't mean that shamefully or meanly. It's just, I'll show you a guy who's blind to his own stuff. Yeah, that's just the reality, as you said, of the human experience, right? A thousand percent. Um, so all of that having been said, I want to be very, very conscious of your time as it is valuable. But before we go, if anybody's eyes 
or more importantly, heart have been opened by today's conversation and they want to dive deeper, read more, learn more, work with you, how do they find you? Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, I am mostly on Instagram at Traver Bohm, T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M. You can get a hold of either one of my books at manuncivilized.com. Uh, for the, the book, Man Uncivilized, which has actually been read by more women than men, it's manuncivilized.com forward slash the book. Uh, that's where I have my membership groups, my courses. And uh, I also have a podcast, the Uncivilized Podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm not hard to find, but just Google Traver Bohm or hit me up on Instagram. I'd love to hear from anybody who this did kind of punch in the heart or who has questions, or even if you disagree with me, which happens you know, rarely, but quite often. Uh, I'm also happy to to navigate any of those conversations. So yeah, find me on Instagram or uh, hit my website. Awesome. And I love the idea that you said that more women uh, get the book than men. I'm assuming it's like, where's the operating manual for this thing? Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Now I get it, right? Um, so yeah, this has been uh, immensely, immensely useful for me. And I'm sure that uh, inspiring and useful for my listeners and viewers as well. And I uh, can't thank you enough for your time and your journey and your expertise. So thanks so much for having me on so much, brother. I truly appreciate you. Have a great day. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.